0: We wanted to start today, maybe, with a little bit of fun. We know this is a difficult season, so we're not going to make fun of what's happening. But we thought we might talk about how to have some fun. And so I'm going to lead you through a seven question true false quiz. So, wherever you're watching and with whoever you're watching, you can be a part of this seven true and false questions. We'll start the first one. Here we go. True or false, I have created a math formula to determine how long my toilet paper supply will last. True or false for you, okay? That's the first one. Here's the second one. I've participated in my first Zoom call. A lot of you who about two months ago had no idea what Zoom was, and now you're on there a lot more than you ever expected. I'd encourage you, if you want to Google Zoom call fails, there's some really funny stuff out there, Uh, people who uh, know some things now that they wish they knew earlier. Fourth, I've been judgy about someone else's response to COVID-19. Now be honest, we're not all in church together today, but we're a part of church. so, So be honest, true or false. I've never been so thankful for sweatpants or yoga pants. Those have now been called uh, soft pants, just as a general category. Uh, Soft pants, true or false? Uh, I've developed a weird hankering for something I don't normally crave. Had some weird cravings. I will tell you, if you're craving pickles and ice cream, you may be pregnant, which is not a problem that COVID is going to deal with. So you should get that checked out. Um, I've posted a snarky comment about a political figure on social media. Be honest, we can all scroll your, your Facebook later today. And then the last one, they we be all agree on this one, true or false, I think school teachers deserve a pay raise. That is definitely 100% true. All kidding aside, I do think that when we look back on this time that we're in the middle of right now, that we're gonna see this season as a defining moment. A defining moment for us as individuals, a defining moment for our church, and in some ways, even a defining moment for our country and for our world. And I've been thinking a lot about defining moments lately, and I believe that our lives are a sum of many defining moments. When we look back on a life or we tell the stories about our life, often we talk about these defining moments that set things up or change things. And I wonder for you, here's a question. If you had to pick three to five defining moments in your life, what moments would you choose? If you had to pick three to five defining moments in your life, somebody said, Hey, tell me about your life, and you could only talk about three or five moments, which moments would you pick? Weddings? Funeral? Start of a job? The loss of a job? The death of someone you loved? A move? some big change in your life, what moments would you pick? Here's what I've discovered as I've been thinking about this question, my own life, talking to other people this week. The defining moments in our lives are often life's storms. When we sit around a campfire and we tell stories about experiences in our lives or somebody asks us to share a little bit of our story, often the defining moments that we talk about that really summarize who we've become, what we've been through, who we are today, those moments are often life's storms. When we tell those stories, we don't often talk about those seasons where everything was awesome, successful, easy, comfortable. So often the moments and the stories we talk about are seasons of trials, storms, adversity, even pain. And many of us are in the middle of one of those storms today with COVID-19. And that's why today we're beginning a new series and it's called Unsinkable, Navigating Epic Storms. Because I think that we're in the middle of an epic storm right now. Now, we're all experiencing it differently. And so I don't presume that that your experience is my experience or vice versa. And a a church as large as Cornerstone. There's so many different experiences. And the experience we're having in the Quad Cities here in Arizona is different than people are having in other parts of the country and around the world. But I do believe this, that many of us are in the middle of a storm today. And all of us will one day be in the middle of a storm. And my hope is that this series not only helps you to navigate a storm if you're in one right now, and if you're not, it prepares you for the storm that is surely ahead. In recent weeks, I had been uh, going through a study myself just for my own um, growth that talked about some of these same things. And as I was thinking about what should we do after Easter, I made the decision to pivot away from what we were going to talk about and talk about this. Because I hope that every Sunday, the teaching at Cornerstone, no matter whether I'm bringing it or somebody else is bringing it, is relevant, biblical, and practical And I've been going through a study that is all three of those things and in in some ways is the inspiration behind this series. It's a 10-week study of the life of Noah entitled Surviving Epic Trials. And it's written by Robin Kaufman, who's a counselor here in the Prescott area. She and her husband, Joey have been an invaluable resource to me and my wife and other members of our team. Their specialty is working with uh, ministry leaders and ministry couples, and they do incredible work. And Robin's uh, book, Surviving Epic Trials, is just an amazing, amazing resource. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can go to that resource page that Clovis talked about during ministry highlights. It's prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. This series is inspired by that book, but we're certainly not preaching through that book. So there's definitely places where um, you're going to see some overlap, but also some differences. Today though, we're going to begin here talking about the storms as we meet them. I've entitled this message, Meeting Our Storm. And here's the big idea for today. The transformation comes to us disguised as an unwanted experience. Many of us would say, yeah, I want God to transform me. Maybe we sing a a song that talks about that. God, make me who you want me to be. God, God, change me. God, transform me. But many times when we say we want transformation, we need to prepare ourselves because when transformation comes our way, it's going to come wrapped in a package that we didn't expect. It's going to come disguised as an unwanted experience. And that is certainly the experience of the man whose story we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about. And that's Noah. His story, the beginning of it is recorded in Genesis 6. 13 to 22 and seven, one through 10. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, welcome. So glad that you're here. You picked an awesome time to jump in with us. Genesis is about the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's right there at the beginning. If you have a physical Bible, it's at the top of your list. If you have a digital Bible, and we'll be there for a while. So you'll kind of get your bearings with the Bible over the next few weeks. I want to give a word about the context. If you've not read this section of the Bible before, or maybe if you're thinking, what I think you might be thinking at some point in this series. The storm that Noah navigates through is a storm that is brought about by God's judgment. You'll read in a little bit with us about God deciding that the earth and those who lived on it were so evil that they needed to be destroyed and he wanted to start over. And let me be very, very clear. I am not drawing an equivalence between COVID-19 and our storm and that storm in that way. I don't believe that COVID-19 is God's judgment on the earth. I've not heard God say that to me. And the unique thing that I want to point out is that while that storm and judgment impacted those who God said were evil who are living in disobedience to him, who were destroying what God intended. The people who are alive, who are getting COVID-19 today, and even those who are dying include both those who don't believe in God and don't live according to his ways and those who are followers of him, who have devoted themselves to living lives that honor him. And so I don't think there's an equivalency there. And that's what I'm Not saying, not saying that I'll be really clear about that from the beginning. The other thing I want to say about context is this is a five week series and I'm going to talk about some things over these five weeks that we won't all get to in the first week. So if you have a question, you go, Hey Scott, what about that? Or I really am wrestling with this. I would encourage you to not check out and stick with us for all five of these weeks Give us time to get to some of those things because there are some things about this story that if you've never heard it or you haven't read it in a while, it may make you uncomfortable. And that's okay. Don't check out because you're uncomfortable. Stay with us and we'll get to some of those things in the weeks to come. Okay? So today as we start, I want to share with you four considerations to make when you meet your storm. So as you meet the storm, and we kind of think about the storm that we're in right now, as you meet that storm, here's four considerations. And the first one starts in Genesis 6, 8, where it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The first consideration I want to share with you today is that God has been preparing you even if you don't feel prepared. One of the big challenges that I know I have faced in this season, in this storm, is that I haven't felt prepared for what I'm having to navigate. You may not feel like you are prepared for what you've had to navigate, but we see in this story that even though Noah might not have thought God was preparing him, he was. And we see how God was preparing him in these verses. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and Noah walked with God. We know from surrounding information and other chapters around Genesis 6 and the work of scholars that Noah was approximately 500 years old when these words were written. People in this time in history lived a lot longer than they live right now. And Noah had been in a relationship with God, walking with God, learning from God, allowing God to shape him for 500 hundred years. That was his preparation. He might not have seen it as preparation, but it certainly was. And I know many times in the last few weeks, I have used a phrase, others have used a phrase, Hey, there's no instruction manual on how to go through this. There's no instruction manual for a pastor on how to lead a church when you can't actually be with your people. There's no instruction manual on how to do work full-time at home while you also homeschool your kids and just let the record show you can't do them perfectly well at the same time. I've tried. It doesn't work. There's no instruction manual on this, but according to scripture, we do see a precedent that when God leads someone into a storm, he prepares them for it. And the 500 years that Noah spent walking with God in a relationship with God prepared him to follow God into the storm. Robin Kaufman, the writer of Surviving Epic Trials, writes that the depth and length of the preparation is often related to the size of the storm. And I would say that Noah's storm is the epic, the most epic of all epic storms. Therefore, Noah goes through 500 years of preparation to get him ready to step into that storm. And some of you, you may not feel like you are prepared for this storm. You wonder, how have I been being prepared for this storm? Well, here's the truth. Everything in your past and your present is preparation for your future. Everything that you've gone through in the past and everything that you are experiencing today is God's preparation for everything he has for you in your future. And this is why it's so important that when we have circumstances in our past that we would naturally go, I don't know what that was about. That makes no sense to me. I never really got what was going on there. Man, there are so many things about this moment that I don't understand. Could it be that the things that you didn't understand in the past and the things that you don't understand in the present could be God's preparation for something that is coming in your future. And I will just tell you from my own experience that it's hard to see something you're in, in the present, the way that you see it when you look back in the past. And many of the things that look back and I go, oh, that was totally preparation for this. I couldn't see that when I was standing in that moment back then, but I see it that way now. Let me give you a real practical illustration of this. Jamie Parker was leading us in music a little while ago in our worship service. And Jamie, as some of you have gotten to know, we kid him about this. Jamie is a germaphobe. He would tell you that he is germ aware, but I will tell you the truth as your pastor. He is a germaphobe. And um, this past year at our, our staff Christmas party, we took a picture right here. You could see the the fear and terror on Jamie's face. And we have no video evidence to prove this, but reports say that Jen Myers, who's next to him, licked her hand and then put it on his face. There's no video evidence, so we can't confirm or deny, but that may have happened. And uh, Jamie, in general, is a germaphobe. And we've asked him, hey, Jamie, what's it been like for you to go through COVID-19? I mean, like, you were already afraid of germs when this year started, and now, like, what's it been like? And you know what he's told us? He said, it's really not been that bad. He said, you know, I've always been somebody who sang a song as I washed my hands for 20 seconds. I've always been somebody who was careful not to touch my face. And I've disciplined myself out of that habit. He goes, I'm somebody who tends to be careful about what I touch and who I touch and and washing my hands and practicing all these things that we're learning about in this season. He goes, He goes, I feel like I've been preparing for a moment like this my entire life. And what we've been making fun of him for in a weird way was preparation for what he's now doing really, really well. I wonder if everything that you've been through that you didn't understand was God's way of preparing you for a moment that you didn't see coming. And even if you don't feel prepared today, here's the truth that I want to be a comfort for your heart today. And it comes from Deuteronomy 31. There it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed. Not only has God been preparing us for this storm Even though we don't feel prepared, he is promising to go with us into that storm and he goes ahead of us. The promise of scripture is he's been preparing us and we're not alone in that storm. God's been preparing you, even if you don't feel prepared. Let's jump in the text again before we get to the second consideration. Genesis 6 verse 13 says, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with earth. This is the part I mentioned in the context section. God has decided that humanity is so far down the evil destructive path that he's going to destroy them and start over. So he says to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, Its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Cubit was an ancient measuring system, kind of like the metric system or the inch and feet system we have here in the United States. God goes on, make a roof for the ark, Noah, and finish it to a cubit above, set the door of the ark in its side, make it with lower, second, and third decks. This is a three-story boat. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort of the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive and also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Second consideration as you meet your storm is that during storms, God doesn't tell us everything. One of the challenges with storms is that we don't get all the information that we would like, and not every question we ask gets answered. In the text, we see that God tells Noah a lot. Here's what he tells him He says, You know, humanity's evil. They're so evil, I'm going to destroy them. I want you to build an ark, Noah, and so here are the instructions. But there's a lot of things that aren't included on this list. For example, why do I need an ark and how are you going to destroy the earth? God, he doesn't tell him that in this passage. Uh, God, I've never built an ark before. Do you have any detailed instructions? I mean, the kind of instructions that God gives are even less than some IKEA instruction books we get. I mean, it's just very minimal. You know, God, uh, You're going to destroy everybody, really? Is is it really that bad? I mean, that that seems kind of extreme. Um, God, how long is this going to take? Should I get help? I mean, none of those questions that Noah might have had that some of us would think about having if we were in Noah's shoes get answered. And this is a massive undertaking. Somebody said, how big is the ark this week? Well, the ark was based upon a translation from cubits to feet was 450 feet long. That's one and a half football fields. It's 75 feet high. So according to our measurements, you're talking three to five stories high. It was 45, sorry, 75 feet wide, 45 feet wide. It's, it's about the, the width of half of the football field and about three stories tall. It's a massive ship. One scholar that I was reading about this week said that the ship was so big that Noah built that a ship wasn't built that was bigger than the ark across human history until the 1800s. It is a massive ship. And it is a massive undertaking that Noah entered into because of the direction of God. In addition to there being a number of things that God doesn't provide answers to and details he doesn't provide at this point, I was struck by through my friend Robin's study the, the observation that, that God gives Noah a great deal of detail about what to do, but he doesn't spend a ton of time doing what I would feel like I needed in that moment or what I would have done to Noah if I was in God's shoes. Because as much of concern as I would have had for giving Noah instruction, as much of a concern I would have had as a listener for, for the details, I would have wanted like some, some coaching, you know, if I was in God's shoes, I'd have been like, Hey Noah, buddy, I just want you to know it's going to be okay. I'm going to walk with you. I know this is going to be difficult. You're going to get ridiculed and your family's not going to understand. I know you have lots of questions. And so I just want you to trust me. I know this has got to be, I mean, all of those kind of things aren't included in the text. What is included in the text is that God told Noah what to do. He did not tell Noah what was to come. And this is the place that I think a lot of us struggle in our storm too. Many of our worries, anxieties, fears, and concerns that are plaguing us today have to do about what's to come. God, how do I pay my bills in the future with what I have right now? God, God, how do I make sense and, and, and how do I know what's going to happen? God, how do I know what to tell my kids about what is to come? When so often what God does is he doesn't give us answers to everything. He says, this is what I want you to do next. And so often what we want is God tell me what's to come. So often what God does is he tells us what to do. And watch what Noah does in Genesis 6. It says, Noah did this. He went and built the ark. He did all that God commanded him. In the next chapter in Genesis 7, God gives him more instructions. And what does it say? Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Again and again, what Noah does is he doesn't let his lack of understanding, he doesn't let the lingering questions in his mind hold him back from doing all that God has commanded him to do in the present. And that is really difficult. And I want to illustrate for you why I mean, I'm asking my friends to come up on the stage right now, and they are coming with signs, three words that I think dominate our hearts and our minds during this season. I think right now we're thinking a lot about this question of understanding What do I understand about what God is doing or not doing? Okay, how do I obey God during this? And what does it mean to trust God? And I know for myself, and I'll just speak for me, but I'm going to guess I have some company on this. For myself, I often go, God, if you would help me to have more understanding about my questions and these details I don't get, then if I had more understanding, God, I could get to obedience... And then I would really be trusting you with this thing that I'm going through. Put another way, I think we want understanding before obedience. We want God to give us our answers and give us that clarity and speak to all those questions and then we'll obey. But that is not what happened in the story of Noah. Noah didn't have the understanding that we think he might have needed. But it said that in everything he did, Noah obeyed. And so I think a better picture of the way God works is this. I think it's that God calls us to trust him. Out of that trust to obey him. Even if the understanding tarries, waits, or doesn't come. I think this is what God calls Noah to. This is what Noah did. And this is what God is calling us to in this season. Trust God, obey what he showed you and trust him with the understanding. I love what Tim Keller says about this. Keller says, understanding how the Holy spirit works is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. Friends, If you have been following God for any period of time, I want to encourage you to be careful of turning your faith into a puzzle that has a solution and recognize that there will always be a part of how God works in your life that is a mystery. And the people that I talk to who've been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive, what they tell me, and I've experienced just a little bit of it, is the longer you follow Jesus, the more mystery there is, the more there are things, if you're honest, you don't understand and comprehend, and yet you're still called to live by faith. There's a caveat I want to make with this illustration real quick. And that's this, that we aren't promised understanding in this life. We aren't promised that even when we trust God and even when we obey God, that we're going to get understanding. It's not like, okay, God, I'll give you trust and obedience, but you give me understanding. It's not, it's not that kind of gimme thing. God may never give you the understanding that you want. And so what would it look like for you if you trusted him and you obeyed him? And guess what? On the other side, there wasn't understanding. Could you still do everything God commanded you to do the way Noah did? Because I will tell you that what we're going to talk about later today and the weeks to come is the whole understanding thing with Noah looks very different than I think a lot of us believe on the surface. And in this season, you may not understand for a long time or ever what God is doing. Can you still trust him? Can you still obey him? Thanks guys. Let's jump back into the text. Genesis six twenty one says, also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded them. That's the end of chapter six. Chapter seven begins with, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. That's two verses. One chapter ending, one chapter beginning. And here's the consideration I want you to make in light of this. And I'll unpack it once I share it. That God may seem silent even while he's working. God may seem silent even while he's working. Now in your Bible, if you have it open or you open on your, on your, your phone or computer, you go right here and you're in chapter six. You turn the page, you scroll down. There's verse seven. There's, there's about this much space between 622 and 7.1. But friends, in terms of time, Bible scholars tell us that the gap between chapter six ending and chapter seven beginning, the time it took Noah to build the ark is anywhere from three to hundred years. If Noah had a crew, who knew what they were doing and they had accessible supplies, the wood, the pitch, the tools, conservatively, the best that it could have been, the fastest it could have gone is three years. If Noah did it by himself, if this was a new thing for him, he never built before, based upon time in terms of his age, when he gets the message and the time when he uh, goes into the ark with his family, The maximum it could be is a hundred years. But it's not just that it took three to a hundred years to build the ark. That's the takeaway I want you to have. It's that while he was building the ark for three to a hundred years, there is no record of God speaking to him in any discernible way. God tells him what to do in chapter six. It ends seven picks up and the ark has been completed. What you have in that period is silence. And that's one of the hardest parts of going through a storm is reckoning with the silence of God. For so many of you, the storm that you're in right now, the storm that you're going to be in in the future, the hardest thing for you is going to be reckoning with the sense you have that God feels distant. The sense you have that God is not speaking. And the stories you're going to begin to tell yourself about why that is. Over the years in the history of our faith, many have developed a term for this inspired by a book by the same title by St. John of the Cross. They call this kind of experience the dark night of the soul. It's that experience of, of feeling like God has removed his presence Feeling like God is more distant than ever before. Feeling like God is silent. Beginning to think that you're something wrong. Wondering if there's some sort of sin in your life. Feeling like somehow you've, you've taken a wrong turn. Feeling like God's punishing you. Wondering if God is real at all. We end up in some really strange, surprising places when we go through the dark night of the soul. Because it's disorienting to not sense God's presence and not hear him. And I know this from personal experience. I've never both an ark. I haven't had three to a hundred years of God going silent on me, but I have had seasons where I felt like I was in a moment like this. One of them happened in the summer of 2006. I had graduated from college. I was starting the next season of my life preparation for a full-time Christian ministry with the church. And I'd moved back home to Las Vegas and I was trying to decide what new city I wanted to move to to attend graduate school and get involved in a local church. And uh, I didn't feel like either of the directions I was going down were bad. Neither option was necessarily sinful or destructive or evil. I just felt like I had to choose. And in the midst of that discernment process, I didn't sense like God was speaking at all. I read the Bible, I prayed, fasted, Sought godly counsel from friends, read books, watched sermons, did everything I could do, and still I heard nothing. But eventually a decision had to be made. And so I made the best decision I could. That was the beginning of June. It wasn't until the end of August that any sense that I was looking for from God arrived. My dark night lasted for about 75 days. And I moved, signed a lease in an apartment, started a new job, unpacked boxes. All the while, I didn't sense like God was speaking to me. I wondered if God was at work. And when that season finally ended, I didn't know it was going to be 75 days. I thought it was going to last forever. I felt like God said to me, not in an audible way, but he spoke to my spirit and said, this is why you're here. This is why I've put you here. I was in the middle of a meeting and something that God had done in my life in the past, preparation, met a need in the present. And the question I have for you as I've been reflecting on that experience and Noah's experience is this, is what if God is at work and that's why he's silent? Instead of telling yourself the story that that God is silent, therefore he's not working and I've done something wrong, what if God's silence is a sign that he is in fact working? I think about Buddy Noonan. Buddy is the son of Jeff and Lindsay. Jeff is one of our board members here at Cornerstone and Lindsay serves on our staff team and Buddy is an army ranger think about my friends that I've gotten to know over the years who have either been in or are in the Navy SEALs or the Army Special Forces. And when one of these units, when some of these men and women go out to serve, they go silent. They're out on a mission and their family and friends are waiting for them to make contact again. And those family and friends know something that we need to know about God, that while that work is happening, there's silence. It doesn't mean that those Service members, it doesn't mean that God is just playing cards, killing time, ignoring us. It means that important things are happening. And I want to encourage you that God may seem silent in your storm, even while he's doing great work. Let's finish up for today. Genesis 7, we'll go back to it. The listener Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you, Noah, seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, seven pairs of birds of the heavens, also male and female to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days, Noah, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Fourth consideration for you. Storms reveal our faith and storms grow our faith. We see in this story, the the character of Noah that had been forged for 500 years, walking with God, that he does all that God commanded him, even when he doesn't understand it. And when there's new things, it says in that passage that a flood is going to come. And there had never been a drop of rain on the earth. Noah had never experienced rain, much less a flood, much less a flood that was enough to destroy every living thing on the face of the planet. Noah had no experience with this when the storm began. And his story is a testimony that God may lead us into a storm that we feel we have no experience or preparation with, and yet it is that very storm that he's going to use to reveal our faith and grow our faith. So many of us think that we have to have experience. We have to have seen things before. We have to have been through things before to feel comfortable, confident, and courageous in stepping into that storm. But that simply is not the case. In 2 Corinthians 4, the apostle Paul writes these words. He says, so we do not lose heart. The reason why storms reveal our faith is they reveal in a season where we can't always see what we want if our faith is based upon what we see or our faith is based upon what we can see. The, 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 the conclusion there from Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 is we walk by faith, not by sight. And many of us in this time have felt fear And we've been tempted to walk in fear or respond in fear. And I know many of us, when we get overwhelmed or in something that's new or difficult or challenging, our temptation is to get defensive, to close up. And yet it is that very position that prevents God from doing the full work he wants to do in our life because we're closed off to it. My my counselor is always reminding me that when I'm in that position of being afraid that I tend to close up and the invitation from God is to open up in faith and to move from being defensive to being curious, to say, what is God doing in this season? What is God making possible during this time? What does God want to work on in me in the midst of this? And what does it mean to trust him? Hebrews 11, the most famous chapter in the Bible about the subject of faith begins this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not about what you can see. Faith is about what you do in the face of what you can't see. And the assurance and conviction you have that the one you have put your hope in is strong even amidst the storm. And it is that kind of action that transforms us. It is that kind of faith in the midst of that storm that results in us being in a different place and being a different person on the other side. We know from every epic story of the last half century, that when people go through a season of crisis and adversity suffering and pain that it changes them and they're a different person on the other side think about star wars luke is a very different person in a new hope than he is in the last jedi frodo is a very different person in the shire than he is when he's gone through the fires of Mordor. Katniss Everdeen is a very different person when she's first called upon in the Hunger Games than she is when she's conquered her enemies. And Harry Potter not only grows from being a little boy into a man, but he is a different person when he's faced down his greatest enemy. And it is when we have stepped into that storm in faith And not run from it in fear like we're tempted to, that the transformation comes. Let me make this really personal. About 14 years ago, I met my wife for the first time. And we were in a very different life season. I had just gotten out of college, moved to Phoenix. That decision I made to move turned out to be a very good one. And I met her, and she wasn't 22, she was 26. I was still in school. She'd graduated past the bar, was a professional attorney and had her life seemingly in order. And because of where she was and because of where I was, because she was two inches taller than me and because she was asking me really hard questions and pushing me and challenging me in a way that I never had before, I'll be honest, I was scared of her. Truthfully, there's part of me that's still scared of her today and I hope that part never goes away. But, but I was scared I was scared of what it would mean to pursue her in a relationship. I was scared of what it would mean to to marry somebody like that. I can remember sitting down with a mentor of mine and telling him, Maxie, this girl scares me. Dr. Birch was a mentor of mine. We named our son Maxwell after him. And one day I know he'll come and share with us here at Cornerstone. I look forward to that day. But I can remember sitting in his office, Maxie, listened to me recount my fear and my overwhelm at the thought of, asking Danny out, pursuing her. And here's what he said. He said, well, bud, I think you have two options. You can run from her or you can run to her. And those simple words framed up a decision that I made that changed my life. And I wonder if they can frame up the same decision that you're faced today. You didn't see this storm coming. You don't feel prepared for it. And a part of you is tempted to run from it with fear, to try to get out of it as fast as you can, to get to a place that feels more comfortable, more safe, more secure. But what if in fact God is calling you to step towards the storm and meet the storm because the transformation that he wants to do has showed up in your life in a form that you didn't expect or anticipate. You can run from the storm, or you can run into the storm. One will lead you to comfort and one will lead you to change. Today, you have an opportunity to choose. If you're following along with your notes, there's some next steps I want to share with you this morning. And before I get to those, I want to encourage you. If you want to dig deeper into this study, if you want to learn more about Robin's course that inspired this, you can find about all of that at prescottcornerstone.com. It's not resources. It's actually unsinkable. Slash unsinkable. I put the wrong slide on there. That's my fault today. But let's, let's dive into these steps. Number one, thank God for preparing you for this storm. And what lies ahead? You say, Scott, why would I want to thank God for this storm? Because this storm is going to do what you've always wanted him to do, to change you, to transform you, to make you like him. And when you begin to thank God for something, that practice of gratitude, that discipline, that muscle, it begins to change your perspective. And I want to encourage you to begin thanking God for preparing you for the storm and watch how that gratitude changes how you see your past and your present. Number two, I want to encourage you to set up your own trust, obedience, understanding station at home, whether it's a a post-it note or an index card, one of them or three of them. I want to encourage you to find a place in your home and to put these three words in this order as a reminder of the choice you're going to make to not require understanding before you obey, but to trust God in the face of the things you don't understand. So whether it's in your living room, your kitchen, your bathroom. I would not put this in your car if you're staying at home. Cause if you're like me and you're staying at home, you're getting about three weeks to the gallon on that car. So I would hold off. I'm putting it there, put it somewhere you can see and use these words as a reminder of the posture you're going to take during the storm. Number three, identify one place where you're tempted by comfort and determine what courage would look like instead. So in the place where you're tempted to run from it to comfort, determine what it would look like with courage to run to it instead. And then number four, invite God to transform you during this storm. You may not have seen it coming. You may feel uncomfortable and afraid. But what if this storm and this season is the context to which God finally answers the prayer you've been praying, make me more like you. Let's pray.